0: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, As Pastor Jowell said, my name is Scott, and it's always nice to be in a place where I can say the name Scott and people don't look at me kind of like a dog and tilt their heads like, what is he saying? A lot of times in different countries, that is not a common name. In Chile, I always had to say, my name is Scott, like the brand of toilet paper, and then they would say, oh, okay, I got it. Well, it might not sound like it. People have told me that it it sounds like I've sucked in helium or developed an accent, but I actually come from Alliance, Nebraska. I was born in Shadron, grew up in the Berean Church there in Alliance, and and have always been somewhat connected to Mitchell Berean. And so it's it's very, very humbling for me to be able to stand here today before you guys as just an everyday, average, ordinary man from Alliance, Nebraska, and, and to be able to share from God's Word and to be able to share about what God's doing through our ministry. I remember driving by this church as it was being built and thinking, wow, what a church. I, I never imagined in a million years that, that I would be one day standing up here. I remember when I was younger going hunting in Morrill, Nebraska and, and slipping in and sitting right there in that back corner and just kind of hiding. And then when it was over, I would, I would leave again. And I never dreamed, I never dreamed that, that one day we would be here sharing as a family. And so I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing us to be here. And I want to take just a few minutes before we dig into God's Word and share a little bit about our ministry and what we're doing in Europe. I know for a lot of people, when you think about Europe, it's probably not the first thing that comes to your mind. Missions. Because for a lot of people, Europe is a reached country. It's it's part of the history of Christianity. And, and when you think that, it's really not wrong. But the reality is, there's two sides to the coin. And there's a lot going on in Europe right now that I just want to make you aware of. and So that you have a better understanding of just things that God is doing around the world. So if you could bring up the first slide... First of all, I guess that's my family. This is our, our first daughter, Emily. She was born in Chile, in, in, yeah, Santiago, Chile. She's four years old. This is Lucy. She's doing her best to smile. She was born in Switzerland. She's two years old. And that is Sophie. She was also born in Switzerland and she's five months old. And that, everybody says that they have the most beautiful wife, but I really do. That is Mani. She doesn't know where she's from. She was born in Chile, grew up in Argentina. We met at a Bible school in England, and now we're in, in, in Europe together. And they always say that a Bible school is like a shoe factory. For those of you who are single, you go in as one, and then you come out as a pair. And that was definitely true for me. So just do a little bit of advertising for Bible school. So you can go to the next slide. This is a campus that we were actually donated five years ago in the heart of Europe. Uh, It was a Bible school for many years. And then we got an email that said, the place is empty. Do you as a ministry have a vision for it? And we had always had on our heart as a ministry to have a place to train, to be a part of God's mission, but to bring people alongside with us, to train them in that, to offer them schooling, opportunities for outreach. And in the middle of this, in the middle of the heart of Europe, in a place that has so much, Foundations in your and in my faith, God gifted us this campus. And so, I want to just take a few minutes to invite you into the story to help you understand a little bit more. If you can go to the next slide, that's what it looks like in winter, just so you get kind of an idea what kind of work we have to do when we have to shovel the, s- the snow. It's a lot to do. Next slide. This is Europe, and as you see, Switzerland is right here. So we're in the heart of Europe, a place which has been totally transformed over the past 500 years. As we think of how Christianity developed and went up to Rome and spread into Germany and up to the north and Holland, and and things were just rocking today, we still talk about the Reformation 500 years ago as Martin Luther pinned the 95 Thesis on the door in Wittenberg as as they separated from the Catholic Church. I mean, we still talk about it still have the repercussions of that today as we read our Bibles in English. A lot of that has to do with the roots of the Reformation as Martin Luther began to translate the Bible in the language of the common man. And so 500 years ago in Europe, things were rocking. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, I think it's hard for us today to really put into words what was happening at that time. But something over the past 500 years has happened. And I would compare it to if you would want to kill a frog with the element of heat. So if you would want to kill a frog with the element of heat, what you would not do is you wouldn't take the frog and throw it in a fire because the frog would realize that it's hot and it would jump out and then the frog would live. What would you do is you would put a pot of water on a stove, you put the frog in, You'd start to boil the water, and slowly it would heat up. The frog wouldn't realize it, and it would die. And that's really what's happened to Europe over the past 500 years. There's been tremendous churches, bigger churches than this, that today are nothing more than mere museums, people who who come and set countries that used to be just influential in in the story of God's mission, and today have less than 1% of Christians. So if you can go to the next slide. There's different things that have happened in Europe in the history. You think about the Second World War as the Iron Curtain split Europe in half, which actually split Germany in half where the Reformation took place. So I actually had the opportunity to share in a church where Martin Luther himself had shared over ten different times. A tremendous church and an incredible building. You guys want to know how many people were in there? Twenty. You want to know how many were believers? Two, And that's the sad reality in many places in Europe today, and I don't know about you, but that place is a humility in my heart as I recognize our need to remain dependent on God, to remain dependent on His Word, and not believe that we can contain spiritual life in the walls of, of, of a church of four walls, but that we need to remain dependent on Him and know that... That without Him, we really are not on a good path. And so that's the reality in Europe right now. You can go to the next slide. We have our mission training school there in which we try to live out God's mission and bring people along with us. So we have one part of our training which we would consider theoretical training. Um, It's not so theoretical, but it's how we dive into God's Word. We discover the biblical foundation for God and His mission. We look at how do we serve in an intercultural team? How do we adapt to a culture and speak a relevant language so that we can communicate and connect with the hearts of the people that we're serving? And so that's one part. It's a foundational part of what we're doing. If you can go to the next slide. Another thing that we do is we serve practically with our students. So that means that we go out on outreach. That means that we go out to the poor. That means that we go out to these diverse places that you find in Europe, whether it's extreme poverty in Eastern Europe, whether it's urban cities that, that are global influentials, but we serve with our students. Not just sharing the gospel, but we, we work with our students. You see, there's one thing that I've realized over the past nine, ten years of serving interculturally, and that's how much this culture in western Nebraska has shaped me. Serving, observing, watching people work, learning perseverance, and that's so foundational. So foundational. You see, I've seen and I've observed why many missionaries today return home. and You guys want to know why? It's not because they stopped believing in core foundations, doctrines of our Christian faith. It's not because they stopped believing that Jesus is the only way to the Father. It's often because they have a lack of character. It's because they've they've gotten into deep, difficult interpersonal relationships and they say, well, I've come this far, but I, I can't go any farther. And so as we work practically, as we create and provide provoke environments in which we can see into hearts, in which we can transform character. We learn perseverance. We learn foundational truths to the Bible, not just mentally in our minds, but they become applicable and they become transformational in who we are. We have things like a chicken coop. And at the first week, we always ask our students, can you help clean the chicken coop? And at first, everyone says, well, yeah, no problem. But after four weeks, you see a completely different attitude and you see what's in people's hearts. I think we could probably all agree we would probably respond the same way, but it's in those moments that we can come in and, and, and really transform and work in people's character through the power of the Spirit and do things that will help them be able to finish their race well and to be used by God to the ends of the earth. And so that's what we're doing in Europe. We're we're serving God's mission and we're bringing people along with us. You can go to the next slide. This picture here really uh, just brings out within me a spirit of gratitude and, and thankfulness. I know a lot of you think that this probably looks like a go-kart. That's not what it is. It's a tractor, actually, and it's part of what we've used as a, as a ministry to do this practical aspect of the training that we want to do. And I know that there's people here sitting today as a church who supported this project as we fundraised. And last Friday, we were finally able to pay this tractor off fully, which I really want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving, for investing into that project. Not only that, but I know there's people here today who've invested in us personally, but also in different projects that we've had in the past, whether it's buying a minibus so that we can bus our students around Europe to share the gospel, and for me, I've already said this in two services, and I want you to know I don't say it superficially, I'm not just a tape recorder trying to get through it, I mean it from the bottom of my heart, thank you, it's so humbling. To be in this position today, to see people who make financial sacrifices, to see a church in a moment where we were at, at one of our difficult, most difficult moments and to receive an email to say, hey, we want to adopt you as a missionary. We want to support you. It's incredible to be invited into a church that's willing to send their pastor to us for one week to teach, that's something that we don't take lightly. We recognize the sacrifice that you guys make, and I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. There's a a saying from Martin Luther that really impacted me, and it goes along the lines of, he said, "You know, even if he would know that he would die tomorrow, he would still plant a tree that would one day bear fruit which, which he would never enjoy, which he would never see. And in a lot of ways, I think of you as a church when I hear that. People who give, who invest prayers, and there's being fruit that's coming. Fruit is being bore. And you guys might never see it, but I stand here today to tell you God is moving. He's using your, your offerings, he's using your prayers, he's using your sacrifices in an incredible way. And so on behalf of, of my family, of the ministry, really on, on God's global kingdom, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you as well to, to the elders for this opportunity and for Pastor Giles. It's, it's humbling, and, and I'm just so, so full of gratitude. So thank you guys very much. I brought a few things with me as well. Um, an explorer devotional book. You're more than welcome to take this with. There's prayer requests for unreached people groups. Uh, they're free of charge. If you want to leave something for the printing cost, you can do that as well. We brought our newsletter. If you want to hear more about our family, see some cool pictures, hear some testimonies, we have our back table at the back. You can take one of those with. We also have this nifty little yellow card so you don't forget. If you'd like to receive our newsletter, all you have to do is fill it out. And there's a box back there you can Drop it in, and we'd be more than happy to send you our newsletter so you can continue to pray for us, so you can continue to be informed and, and just know how you can be a part of, of what God's doing over in Europe and, and around the world. So please fill that out, and we'd be happy to send our newsletter to you. We also brought our donation envelopes. So one of the things that we do as, as missionaries is we don't have uh, one... Organization or pot that just kind of pays us our salary, but we come back and we fundraise. And so, I really don't want to take away or try to encourage you from stopping with commitments that you already have to this church, to other missionaries. We know that God's kingdom is so much bigger than my family, than Movida. And and those commitments that you already have, I want to encourage you to keep going with those, to keep faithfully moving forward but uh, we did bring these as well just to, to share with you if you have a desire to come alongside of us more concretely in our ministry then you're more than welcome to do that you can take one with and and ask us any questions you might have and the last thing that i brought i figured that if i didn't you guys might start throwing stones at me before i get down off of this pulpit and i brought some swiss chocolate from switzerland so you're more than welcome to take that with I've said that before and a little kid jumped up and he went out and started taking it all. So wait until we're done and then you guys can have as much as you want. Very good. If you would just bow your heads with me and pray and then we'll dig into God's word together. Father, I thank you so much for this morning a morning where your word is being proclaimed around the world, a morning where people for the first time are having an encounter with your son, Jesus, a morning where for the first time people's eyes are being opened. Father, we get a step into your story this morning as we dive into your word, and I know, God, that... We've come here with different things within our hearts, different thoughts, things that are bothering us, worries, wondering how how things are going to happen when we leave this sanctuary. And God, I just want to ask you to help us slow down in this moment, that you would capture our thoughts, that you you would call to life our creativity of our minds, all of that we are so that we can get all that you have for us in this moment. God, I ask that you would do what only you can do, and that's open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see, give us ears to hear, that you would transform us, that your word would convict us, that you would help us understand ourselves as we understand you better. I pray this in your holy name, amen. So if you brought your Bibles with you today, you can turn to Genesis 22. We're going to look at a story of Abraham. And this story is is really a story that's meant so much to me in the past two years. As Pastor Giles invited me to come share, he, he invited me to come share part of my heart. And so this passage has really been a foundational passage in my life and in my ministry over the past two years. And so I just want to introduce this topic letting you know these aren't superficial things, statements where I thought, well, that would sound good to share with you, but really they're things that have transformed me and I believe they're they're foundations and lenses that help us understand better who we are, who God is, and how we can be a part of his greater story. And so we're going to look today at the story of Abraham. And I know a lot of you know who Abraham is, but as a reminder, Abraham was called out of the land of Ur, And he was called to be a blessing to the nations. That he would have a family that would be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. But Abraham, in an old age, he still hadn't had any children with his wife Sarah. And eventually, God responded to this promise. And he blessed him with a son, Isaac. And that's where we get into our story today, which seems like an outlandish request, what God asks of Abraham, but there's a, it's a request, it's a story that has so many implications for our life today. So I want to invite you now to dig into this passage with me. Do whatever you got to do, read it to yourself and your Bibles, read it on the screen, but engage with your mind, with your creativity, and don't fall asleep, don't start thinking about what you're going to eat after church, but let's really dive into the fullness of this passage. So it says... Then he reached out his hand, he took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said, do not do anything to him, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So when you read this story, I wonder who you would say is the protagonist. Who you would say is the main character in this story. If you would ask me, you know what my gut reaction would be is to say, Well, this is a story about Abraham. And to say that, I don't think you would be 100% wrong. But when we look and study the language of this passage, we become aware of something that's so deep, so profound, I believe it would change us so much in the way that we view the Bible and view this story. We see... God tested Abraham. He said to him, God said, I will show, God has told, God himself will provide. The angel of the Lord called out, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. You see, in this passage, it's not about Abraham initiating and bringing forward the story. It's God. And the reason is because this story is not primarily about Abraham as if he were the focus and as if it's all about him, but it's a story about God. You see, the story, the world belongs to God. And Abraham's story only makes sense when we understand it through the lens of it being God's greater story. As God being the main character, as God being the protagonist. This is a truth that we see throughout the entire Bible of God being the one bringing forward, of God being the one who receives all the glory. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This idea that it's God's story, that he's the protagonist, that he's the main focus... It's so difficult for you and for me to understand. You see, because you and I were selfish people. If you think about the last time you saw yourself in a group picture, what did you do? If you're anything like me, you looked at it, you made sure that all of your bald spots were covered well, that the angle of the camera was good, so it, it made you look as good as you think you should. And if not, then you untagged yourself from the photo as quickly as possible so none of of your friends can see it. You see, we're selfish people. And we come to biblical text with that same selfish nature. And that hinders us from deep spiritual growth because we make the focus primarily on ourselves instead of looking to the author of life and understanding that our story can only be understood in his greater story. You see, if we look at Abraham as the main character of this story, then it quickly turns into a scary reflection of a man willing to kill his son. But when we see God above working and orchestrating, then it transforms into a majestic and glorious story that makes us say, wow, incredible. You see, God is at work today on a global level. He's taking the most unlikely situations to transform, to mold, to change, to transform character for His grand and His glorious purpose. You might think right now, well, even with that perspective, even understanding that it's God's story, it still seems like a crazy request. And So I want to take just a moment to address really the heart of what God is getting at when He invites Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son. You see, God isn't just asking Abraham, go go, murder your son. Go do the most crazy thing that, that you can think of just to show your obedience to me. It's not the request that God was asking Abraham. So if we want to understand the depth of this passage, the first thing that we have to understand is that God was inviting Abraham. He was asking Abraham to offer up his firstborn son as an offering And there's a big difference between that and murder. It was asking him to offer up his son as a sacrifice. And so to understand this, we have this idea of him offering his son as a sacrifice and connecting it with this truth that this passage was not written in the context of what we live today in Mitchell, Nebraska, or wherever we live, where we can go through the McDonald's window and get what we want, but it was written in a different context. You see, today, scholars like to point out that we live in an individualistic society. So when we talk about success, we talk about individualistic success. When we talk about prosperity, we talk about individualistic prosperity. But the context in which this was written wasn't an individualistic society. It was a family-based society. So when they would talk about success, they would talk about a family's success. When they talked about prosperity, they would talk about a family's prosperity. And so we have to understand that in this context in which it was written, they lived in a time in which they followed what would be called the law of primogeniture, which means that the firstborn was the one that got everything. We see this over and over in in Scripture, that the firstborn was was really elevated and, and held up high. And God, in Genesis and throughout His Word, He he goes against the culture. And He says, the firstborn belongs to me. And so that's why we see often them bringing their firstborn cattle as a sacrifice. They're bringing in the first fruits of their grain as an offering. And so, even if this makes absolutely no sense in our context, we have to understand it made perfect sense in Abraham's context. Abraham understood that him, that his family... They were standing before a God of justice and that He didn't live up to this God of justice. He would have understood that there was this God and that they failed to live up to this God's standards. And that's what makes this this story of Jesus even so much glorious, so much richer, just to know that that it's, it's God who loves, it's God who initiates, it's God who calls in. And then he comes down into the story years later to offer his son as a sacrifice for your sins, for my sins, so that we can have life in him, so that we can be brought to life and have a life of abundance in Christ and God. And so this request that God is making and asking of Abraham to sacrifice his son, when we understand it in God's greater story, it begins to make sense because we realize it's not a story about Abraham, it's God's story. And I can identify with this so much to take a step back. And to know I'm not living just primarily in my story with a small, focused little view, but I'm living in God's story. And this helps me, this helps you, this helped Abraham to understand we can trust God whose heart is good in the middle of difficulties, in the middle of every situation, even when we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel because it's His story. He's the main character identify with this so much in in difficult situations, wondering when is it going to change, but to know, God, I can trust in you. When I think of this, I think of the story of Joseph. I think a lot of you know the story of Joseph. It's also found in Genesis. story of a young boy. He had dreams. He had dreams that one day his brothers would come down and bow before him. And Joseph did, probably wouldn't he, shouldn't have done. He told his brothers these dreams. And it made him so mad that they wanted to kill him. His own family. And they decided to sell him because somehow that was better. So they sold him as a slave. Joseph went to Egypt. He ended up getting a, a pretty high position, a position of authority. And one day the wife of what would be considered like the president, she wanted to sleep with him. And Joseph did what a lot of young men in that situation wouldn't have done. He ran away from temptation. And that made this woman so mad, so angry, that she told everyone that Joseph had violated her. Joseph ends up in prison. I mean, imagine your reputation is destroyed. It's damaged. The world thinks that you're a sex offender for something you didn't do. Joseph wasted, in our eyes, some of the best years of his life sitting in prison. Unsure, wondering what is going on. But I love, I love, I love when we begin to take a step back and look at Joseph's story as part of God's great overarching story, then we see we can trust God, we can trust his heart, even when we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think you know how this story ends. Joseph, one day, he gets out of prison and he gets reinstated into a high position. And there's a famine around. And all of the people have to come to his land, the land that he's helping lead, because they need food. And so his brothers, the very same brothers who sold him as a slave, who betrayed him, they come to Joseph and they need food. And Joseph responds with some of the most profound words that I see in the Bible. He says to his brothers, As for you, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Friends, as we read this, as we glimpse into this story, as we glimpse into God's great story, these aren't just empty words that you pull from a fortune cookie or read on a piece of paper, but these are God's words for real challenges, for real situations. You see, Joseph sat in years in prison. I'm sure he was wondering, why, what, what's happening? It says that Abraham had three days before he went to the mountain. I'm sure he was so full of doubts, so full of insecurities, so full of questions, wondering, God, what is going to happen? You see, if we look at our life with a limited, pointed view, that we're the main characters, we're always, always going to end frustrated. But when we take a step back and realize That God is working, He's orchestrating everything. Everything changes. We learn to trust Him, we learn to understand His heart is good, even when we do not see the light at the end of the tunnel. Which leads me to the second point that I see that means so much to me in this passage, and it's God's test for Abraham. I think that we can all agree on the fact that tests stink, they're hard. They fill us with this sense of doom. They make us insecure. They they rattle us to our core and that's why they're effective because they bring us into situations that we often wouldn't choose by ourselves. And see, often when you and I think of tests, we think of tests how we're given in school where you have lessons and then you take the test. But God's tests are often different. You see, often God gives the test and then you learn the lessons. And as we look at this test that Abraham was put through, a test to sacrifice his only son. I think we struggle to find this comparison today for the depths of what God was asking him to do. Because Abraham, he was he was a love slave to his son. He loved his son, and it was for all the right reasons. You see, Isaac represented God's faithfulness to Abraham. Isaac represented the completion of a promise. He loved his son, and it wasn't something wrong. He had waited years and years and years. God had promised that he would give him a son through his wife Sarah, who will be his heir. And he waited. And in that truth, we find a deep and a profound lesson for us today. You see, God t- invites Abraham to take his son, his only son, and offer him as a sacrifice. Do you know what that means? To take your only, to take your only and offer it up as a sacrifice. I want to get past today just the things that we show on the outside, this image that we build up, and for you to really look in the depths of your heart and to ask yourself, what is my only? What are the things that I'm holding on to that have become my bottom line? What are the things that I go to bed thinking about and say, If only I had that, then it would be okay. If only I had that job, then everything would be fine. If only I had this amount of money, then I could finally rest. If only my children would live up to my expectations, then it would all be okay. If only these interpersonal relationships that cost me so much strength and so much energy would finally just cease, then I would be okay. You see, God wants to take your only and he wants to transform it. Because we have a God who loves us so much. A God that's an author of this great story. A God that knows that these onlys can never truly satisfy us. And he wants to take us through processes to reveal, to transform, to destroy false senses of identity. And re- so that we'll be replaced with a pure, a substance filled love for him. So, friends, you and I, we will go through pain, we'll go through struggles, but it's imperative we don't miss the point. God doesn't just want your half hearted, lukewarm, casual acceptance, He wants your whole heart. And He's willing to do anything, absolutely anything, to get it. So, what's your Isaac? What are you putting your hope into? Your wealth? your career, your image. God wants to take those things and say, I can fill it. He wants to say, I'm better than all that you could ever ask or imagine. Don't be satisfied with a blessing when you can have the blessing giver. And I love this. I love this. This has meant so much to me. You see, God doesn't just ask for your Isaac. He doesn't just ask for your only in a hands-off distant matter. You see, God is above. He's he's orchestrating this great story. But at the same time, he comes down and he gets involved into the story. You see, we love black and white statements. We love concrete statements. Either he's above or he's involved, but he's not both. But I love the fact that that the Bible doesn't provide simplistic solutions to complicated realities. God is above and he's involved. So we get this rich feeling, we get this sense of of security, knowing that this God who's inviting us to offer up our only, at the same time, he comes down and he provides, he responds. In verse 11 it says, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Abraham went to the mountain expecting God to provide. He went looking to the future, knowing that when the rubber met the road, God would be there. See, this passage teaches us a profound truth, a truth that we can hang our hat on. You see, when you and I, when we look to the future, we want to know the answer to the questions, how, when, why, where, with what. We look to the future of our situations and think, how am I ever going to get through that? How am I ever going to have the strength to have that difficult conversation? How am I ever going to have the strength to forgive that person? How am I ever going to have the strength to overcome that addiction? And I love this, that the Bible, that God doesn't provide the answer to the when, the how, the with what, the why. But he answers the question, who? So when you look to the future and you ask yourself, how am I going to forgive my wife or my husband for the fight that we had today on our way to church? The answer is, Jesus will be there. When you return home and fight with that addiction that no one else sees, but you fight with it every day and you're wondering, how am I ever going to get through that? The answer is, Jesus will be there. For those difficult interpersonal relationships in which you feel you're at the end of your road, that you can't go any farther, you don't know how you're going to continue to work with that person, the answer is, Jesus will be there. The question to ask is not when, it's not where, it's not with what, it's who. And verse 14 says, So Abraham called that place. The Lord will provide. Friends, there's one thing you need more than financial security. One thing you need more than emotional stability or a title or a job or effective working hours. And that's Jesus. You see, there's marketers today who spend millions, billions of dollars trying to get you to believe that the purpose of your life is to have a specific title, to have a certain bank account, to have this and that. But Jesus is crying out. He says, don't believe them. He says, I alone am worthy. I alone am worthy of being your only. I'm so much more worthy than just your half-hearted, lukewarm devotion and obedience. I'm worthy of all of your heart. I'm worthy of all that you are. And it's that Jesus, it's that God who loves us so much, who's the orchestrator of the grand story, the great story that He invites us to be a part of, who comes down into your life, into your situations, into your heart, and He provides. So friends, as we leave this place today, I encourage you to go knowing that you're part of God's great story, that He's the author, that He's the main character. That Him as the main character, He wants to be your only. He's the only one who can truly feel. He's the only one who can truly satisfy. And that that only, that Jesus, He's there. And He's providing for that situation that you have in your mind right now, wondering how am I ever going to get through that. I'd like to pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that, that you're here, that you, that you provide, that you're all that we need. God, even, even as I look to tomorrow, of leaving, of, of, of going back, to know that you're there, that, that as we go to our work this week, as, as we go to these situations in which we feel hopeless, we can have faith to know that you are there. God, I thank you that your heart is good. I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that you take us through situations and circumstances so that you become our only. And God, I want to ask that you would give us courage. I want to ask that you would give us just an ability to alter our dependence onto you fully. And not the things that we try to grab and hold on to this world, but to you, the everlasting, the only one worthy of all that we are. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.